0: there are things that are true with a capital T. And one of the things that's true of my life is that I was born into a ton of privilege. Like I'm a white male that lives in America. Like, and for anyone to say that's not a privilege and then I had a leg up on a lot of people is lying. Right. And so the question is not that I have privileges. What do I do with it? Like, what's my responsibility? Like, this is not scripture. This is Spider-Man. But you know, if you have great gifts, you have great responsibility to how much power is given much as required. That's scripture. But You know, it was Uncle Ben who I think told Spider-Man, you know, like, you've been given great gifts. You have a lot of responsibility. And so I'm haunted by my potential.
1: Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business. All walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down. Stories with heart, soul and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell.
2: Our guest on episode R024 of the Reboots podcast, well, he's kind of a big deal. Andy Traub is a coach and consultant living just outside Nashville, Tennessee. Some of his closest friends, clients, and colleagues are well-known authors, consultants, podcasters, and business experts. You might have heard of Michael Hyatt, Jeff Goins, John Acuff, Andy Andrews, Andy Miller, those kind of guys. Now, I've followed Andy as he's co-hosted Jeff Goins' podcast, The Portfolio Life. I've enjoyed his Instagram vlogs about life, work, family, and oh yeah, baseball. As I chatted with Andy, I confirmed what I have suspected for a long time. Who Andy knows isn't the thing that makes Andy a big deal. What makes Andy a big deal? Well, a number of things that I can observe, One thing is his willingness to say he no longer practices the early-to-rise habit that he mapped out in his early book called Early to Rise. Also, what makes Andy a big deal? He works really hard at being honest with himself and others. In fact, he's writing a book about being an honest husband. Andy's also a big deal because he spends time and effort every single day working to become a better Andy Traub, Christ follower, husband, father, friend, colleague, encourager, and breadwinner. Here's something else that makes Andy a big deal, that he does love baseball, and that he just quoted right there Spider-Man and Scripture. Well, not technically Spider-Man, it was Uncle Ben. In this episode, Andy gets real when he shares his secret sauce behind his morning affirmation ritual process, what he's trying to accomplish, and he explains why half his affirmations are intentionally lies for now. We also talk about limiting beliefs. Andy shares this Thing he calls a CSI process for decision making. He teaches his coaching and consulting clients and his children this process. Also, Andy explains why he regularly vlogs on Instagram and is teaching his son to create content regularly. Here's a hint. It doesn't have anything to do with the numbers, like downloads, viewers, listeners, or even the money. Stick around after the interview. I'm going to share another reason why Andy is a big deal, and it's about how I managed to book him on this podcast. Hey, Andy, thanks for inviting us into your life today. I really appreciate your time.
0: I'm very much looking forward to this. Thanks for having me.
2: You know, I've been watching you for quite a while now, all the way back to early to rise. And thank you. You, <laughs> you, you helped me a little bit, but there are just certain things that I'm not going to be very good at, but I have tried your methods and they, they, they work when I apply them. So thank you.
0: Well, I'm glad it's been helpful to you. I am grateful that I wrote that book long enough ago that the first question people ask me is not, uh, what time do you get up? Cause I don't get up that, I don't get up that early. Um, but it's, it's about, it's about, um, uh, it's a, it's about where you're at in a stage of life. And I'm in the stage of life where my kids go to bed later and I want to talk to my wife. And so I stay up later, so I don't get up that early. But for those who want to get up earlier, yeah, I wrote a book called the early to rise experience. So that, uh, it was good.
2: See, I I love that. I love that we can learn out loud and, no, it, it's, it's like it's a manual to come back to something when it's time to come back to something, but it's also okay to know that that's not the time of life that we're in, whether it's getting up early or any other sort of uh, productivity yeah. ritual or whatever. That's really cool. You also have Take Permission and HonestHusband.com, and you facilitate the portfolio life with Jeff Goins, what that's every other week, right?
0: yeah so my sort of current portfolio of the things I do <clears throat> are, yeah I write occasionally at dot com um and we'll talk about this during a conversation today, but I don't do a whole lot more work on my own platform anymore. I've really honed down on my own gifts and abilities and realized that building my own platform is not really where I want to put a ton of my energy so um so yeah, I mean, I have an email list and I have digital products and things like that, um but right now. My my main work is I'm I'm working on a book called The Honest Husband, and so if people go to honesthusband.com. Literally, all it is is just to sign up for updates. There's no like actual content there. Um, and then yeah, with my my main company, Take Permission. Uh, you know, I'm a consultant. I'm a coach, uh, and I'm you know I help I help people get unstuck and and make the next right decision in their business. And I'm not doing any other podcast work right now. But yeah, I've hosted Jeff Coin's podcast. I've hosted Andy Andrews' podcast. Um, you know, I've 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 helped a lot of people. Um, I'm helping Johnny Cuff with some audio setup stuff um, next week. So yeah, I've done a lot of different things, um, and and that's been part of my success and part of my failure. But we'll talk about that in our conversation today.
2: Okay. And because you do so many different things or, or or pieces. Um how do you know which thing is the next right thing to do? Because frankly, that's a thing that that I struggle with every now and then is is where do you find the time to create product versus help other people create product? How do you decide what works for you?
0: Well, I really encourage people to and it's easy to kind of poo poo these these tests and all that kind of stuff, but um my my greatest mentor uh, in, in business uh, has been Dan Miller. And Dan wrote a book called 48 Days of the Work You Love. And one of the foundational principles of that book is 85% of your job search is knowing who you are. I mean, think about that. Let's get a real practical. 85% of a successful job search is understanding who you are. 15% measly is going out and getting the job. But if you think about that, I mean, that's there's so much wisdom packed into that. And so your question was, how do I decide what to do next? And I, I look at my strength finders every week. I mean, I open up and I read the little tiny chapters and hoping that I can suck some new little tiny bit of wisdom from it. Uh, I'm consistently looking at things that I do well and things I don't do well because bottom line is we can all do a lot of things. And I call it the curse of the gifted. And that might sound pompous, but listen, it is difficult when you have so many choices. You know it's not, it's not a, a, um, you know, it's not as bad probably as having no choices. But one of the things I've heard about poverty is one of the reasons that people would rather maintain poverty or ra- maintain a smaller mindset, in my case, is that it limits your choices. It's not, you know, you don't have, you don't have to make as many choices when you don't have options. Well, when you have a lot of options, you get paralyzed for a different reason. And so, how do you decide what to make next? I mean, it, I think most of it starts with being honest about what are you really great at? And if you're not really great at anything, then what do you need to get better at? But, Strength Finders, in the very beginning of the book, it says that essentially the book shouldn't be named Strength Finders. It was something about they should be called it like gift finders because strengths are gifts we've been given that we then hone and and mold and get better at so they become strengths. So as a believer uh, in Jesus, I think that he gives us all certain gifts. So he gave my son a gift for humor. He gave my one of my daughters a gift for singing. Another daughter a gift for, you know, different kind of creativity, right? Give my wife the gift of empathy, right? But they only become strengths when you work at them. And I think one of the one of the reasons that a lot of us struggle is that we take things that were gifts and we don't make them strengths. We just kind of go, oh, I'm good, I'm fine. And in reality, we end up doing the wrong things because we have so many different things we can do. We can be an expert in six days, right? No, no, you can't. You need to get better at things. And so how do I decide what to do next? How do I decide when to create it? I am constantly going back to saying, who did God make me to be? And I spend a whole lot of time on that. And then once I figure that out, then I go do, try to do the next thing and trust that he didn't make me wrong. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Now, how do you translate that into helping your clients figure out what action to take and how to do that?
0: Well, step one further back, one step further back is you have to decide which clients you want. So I had a call yesterday with some members of my mastermind uh, group, and we were talking about uh, just having the right clients and what are the services you offer. And so you you have to decide first what business do you want to be in, right? And so I don't want to be in the business of selling $15 digital courses. I don't want to be in the business of selling $2,000 digital courses. I actually don't like selling digital courses because I'm really relational and I want to like interact with people. And so it kind of makes me sad when someone buys a digital course for me because I still have some for sale and I don't know who they are because one of my primary desires is to have a relationship with people. Like That's like huge for me. And so, again, it's what kind of clients do you want? And so I want fewer clients that I really, really, really gel with. Like, they're, they're friends, they're, they're like-minded. You know, we see the world in the same way. We have the same goals. And that's where I start. Now, how I help my clients, I have a process. I call it the CSI process. And it's not criminal special investigations or whatever the other CSI is. The, my, my process for helping my clients is the same, which is CSI, clarity strategy, implementation. So I work with people that have ideas, but for some reason they're not taking action. They're stuck. And there's one or two reasons people don't take action. One is they're paralyzed because there's so many things they can do. Right. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've had so much success in the past. You know, I just, I'm, I'm afraid of, you know, I could, it could be a podcast. It could be a, a digital product. It could be t-shirts. It could be salt shakers. It could be all these things. So there's so many options. They do nothing. Right. So that's the one kind of people that don't take action. And the other is the people that are the idea is just not that good, right? So um, so they probably shouldn't take action or they should get more clarity on the idea. So I take people and I say, okay, let's get clarity. So if I say, um, let's go on vacation, well, clarity is where? Where are we going on vacation? Because we're going to Chicago, we're going to Los Angeles, like those are different destinations. So first we get clarity. Strategy, how are we going to get there? Are we going to fly? Are we going to drive? We're going to walk. Right, we going to Uber, right? And then implementation, the I, is let's put steps together and actually do it. That's project management. So I work with people who have ideas but aren't, are stuck. And most of the time, they're not stuck because of something external. They're stuck because of something internal. And the great news is that means they can do something about it. They're not stuck because of the economy or because of outside funding or whatever. They're just stuck internally. And I'm really good at helping people get unstuck.
2: Wow. That is a gift, Andy. And you are so right. Whenever people share their reboots stories with me, whether they are are personal or entrepreneurial, um, they realize that the reason they got to where they were often was because of something between their ears. So thank you for being willing to share your Reboots story with us. Was it a moment or a coincidence, a choice? Let's dive in.
0: So I don't know how often you've had a conversation um, about miscarriage. Like this is another example of this. Like when a woman says that she's had a miscarriage, if she's in a room with other women – it's amazing how many other women will come up and say, me too, me too, me too, me too, right? But that's not sort of something that sort of normally comes up and you don't get a special tattoo when you have a miscarriage. It's one of those things that happens to you and then, or to a family, and then, and then it comes up once someone is sort of gives permission to say, this happened to me. And my, one of my main reboots is something that's like that in that most people don't talk about it until the other person brings it up. And one of my major reboots in my whole life was that I had a broken engagement. So we were 30 days from the wedding. 30 days from walking down the aisle with this person. And even as I say that now, 13 years later, 14, 15 years later, it still scares the blank out of me that I might have done that. So I had such a strong desire to serve and to help that I ended up sort of getting engaged with someone that really needed a lot of that serving and rescuing. And um the you know, people don't need to be saved. They need a partner, right? And so I made a poor choice and I um enabled a lot of unhealthy behavior in our relationship. And so 30 days before we were supposed to get married, or I should say 31 days, I had a conversation with a friend, a very, very good friend, and he just said, Andy, I think you're trying to do the right thing by sticking with this, but but it's not good. Like all the premarital tests we took said, don't get married. <laughs> and I told my friend that and he just said, you know, you're trying to like do the right thing and stick with this. But like, this is why there's engagement and not just marriage. Engagement is a time to figure out if you really should be marriage, should be married. And so I broke off the engagement. I quit my job at a church I was working at. I only worked there like nine months. And so it was just a major reboot for my life. I went from, you know, sort of being esteemed and in ministry and engaged and 30, you know, 30 days from marriage to work in a bed, bath and beyond and living in my friend's basement. And I was so friggin' happy. It was unbelievable working at bed, bath and beyond because nobody calls you when you leave bed, bath and beyond with anything. They just say, we'll see you next week when you want to sell more toasters. Right. And it was just so freeing because I got, I got healthy again. And so uh, that was a major reboot personally because I recognized that I had some unhealthy tendencies and started to work on me. That was a big one. And then a, a much more recent reboot is going into this year for 2018. I really went through in a very specific way um, Michael Hyatt's Best Year Ever program and, um, and I I've started to implement it. And so I figured out what I need to be doing with my work. And I put before God and said, God, here are the people that I kind of people I want to work with. Um, please bring them to me and please allow them to say yes. So I started to pursue some clients um, specifically and say, Hey, I want to work with you. Instead of just waiting for them to come to me, and um, that's that's been it's been good.
2: That's really cool. And and you. You've inspired me in a lot of different ways, Andy. One of the things that I saw you working through because you um, have been gracious and generous in sharing your affirmations, not, not so much specifically, but that you were doing affirmations. And I created a set of affirmations early this year. Right. And I know that has helped me. Overcome uh, one of the things that I'm working on, which is self doubt. So, thank you for mm-hmm. that. Would you mind walking our listeners through yeah. this process of setting up morning affirmations for
0: us? Yeah. So here, here's a question for anyone listening: Do you like it when people don't um, blow smoke, as they say? Because blow smoke is <clears throat> it's not real. Oh, you're the best boss ever. Well, okay, whatever. You need a raise, right? Like. People like being affirmed, okay? We like it when people say something specific, accurate, they notice something. So if someone says to me, Andy, you're a great dad, I I, I might appreciate that. I probably would. But not as much if someone said, Andy, I really appreciate the way that you talk to your son when you're coaching him in baseball. It's a really healthy balance of discipline and encouragement and also just knowing how to coach him. That would be a phenomenal encouragement. So those are encouragements. Affirmations are just uh, are, 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 are truths that we repeat to ourselves. And here's the trick. I have morning affirmations and half of them are lies. So here's the trick is that I have to tell myself certain things every morning. And again, half of them are not true yet, but I want them to be true. For instance, I think my second one, and I literally have a, a repeating task in my task system called Todoist. And five days a week, I wake up and I have to check off my affirmation list. And my second one is, I think I am sensitive to my wife's needs. Well, guess what? I'm not sensitive enough to my wife's emotional needs and all, enough, right? So I have to say that. And so I, kind of, I walk into that truth. Does that make sense? Like, yes. Like the truth is before me and I, and I throw it out there and then I step into it. So it's not true, but I want it to be true. And it's this weird little thing where I don't want to be a liar. But also I know that I'm capable of that. And so when I say it, I'm like either it pings me and I go, oh, that's not true. Or I go, you know what? That is true. I can be that. Right. So it's not there to be guilt inducing, but it's also sort of like, hey, don't lie. You know, like. Like one of one of them is that um, uh, we are uh, financially something in every area. Well, we're not financially something in every area. I don't know what the right word is, but it was you know secure plan or something like that. But it's like I want that to be true, right? And so why don't I speak what I want to be true? Um, And so I do every morning, and I feel like a fraud, but I also feel like I am um, you know like it's like saying we're going on vacation. Are you really going on vacation? Well, I guess we won't know until I actually go on vacation, but yes, that's my plan and so when I do these affirmations, it's a plan that I'm trying to walk into and here's the truth, okay, If you're listening to my voice, here's the truth. You already do this in the negative we when when we have fear, you know fear is just an assumption of failure before it's happened, okay so if you knew you weren't going to fail, if you knew you were going to succeed, then you would just so, yeah, that's, like that's, that's, that's going to happen, right? The sun's going to go down today. The moon's going to come up, blah, blah, blah. Like those, we treat those like facts. So why can't we just treat positive things like facts, right? Maybe they don't become true, but aren't they a, a lot more likely to become true if we speak them into, into the air, if you will? So there's real power in those. I feel like a dork every time I do it. Um, <laughs> But <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I, do that, I do that, and then, and again, Michael Hyatt's Best Year Ever program is the process I did for this. But also, the other is you, 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 you write down is another one, um, another process where you write down like negative or limiting beliefs, and then you write the opposite. Right. So one might be I'm not good at like a limiting belief is like um, we'll always have just enough money. All right, that's that's how my family that's how my parents live that's how I've lived most of my life right we don't have we don't we're not crazy in debt, but we always have just enough right like we're not asking people for money, some months I'll make twenty grand some months I'll make a grand right you know, and somebody went, whoa, twenty grand it's like, oh yeah, but then there's the grand month right you know like single grand, you know, so those balance out so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell myself my limiting belief is. Um, I'll never, we'll, we'll always have just enough. Well, if you flip that and you say, I can live a life of abundance financially, right? Now, is that true yet? No, but isn't it a lot more likely to come true if you speak that truth every day? I think so. I hope yeah, so.
2: I agree. So tell me this, I I can't help but go back. I feel back. like
0: everybody thinks I'm, <laughs> I feel like everybody thinks I'm broke and a jerk to my wife right now. So just to be clear, I'm not broke. Um, and I'm not, a jerk. I was kind of a joke here, but, um, <laughs> I'm not broke, and I'm a great husband, but I can improve in both areas. So anyway, go ahead.
2: I I totally agree, and I think the whole point, Andy, of this conversation is, my gosh, if if we set up systems to manage our weaknesses and maybe exploit our strengths, don't you think maybe – that's like scriptural, like the Beatitudes, you know, this system of living a life that says, oh, by the way, you're going to screw up and here's how you fix it.
0: Yeah. I mean, scripture tells us to, you know, write the words on our heart. And I think that says, you know, it's like saying memorize scripture, right? And it's sort of like saying, hey, why don't you believe what is true? You know, like start, start there because the world's job and like, I'm not Matt, like, listen, if, if a wrecking ball hits a building, And I go, oh my gosh, that knocked a building down. Like, yeah, it's a wrecking ball. Like, it's called a wrecking ball, right? It's its only job is to wreck things. So when the world lies to me, right, I I, I should not be surprised by that. Because that's the world's job, right? I mean, and by the world, I just mean media. I'm not talking about like fake news. but I'm just like, everything's urgent all the time on TV. I'm like, why am I getting anxious? Because I'm watching too much media. Why are they making me anxious? Aren't they like here to serve? No, they're here to like make money. It's a business, right? And so like when I get frustrated by my son's institutional school, because he went in school for the first time this year, you know, as a fourth grader, like why am I surprised when institutions are, you know, very institutionally, like, you know, like that's what they are, right? And so yes, we need to remind ourselves of what is true because listen, all day long, you know, all day long, uh, you're getting lies. You're getting other voices. Yeah. So, are you going to just listen, or are you going to speak up? You know, I had a phone conversation. I won't get too det- into detail with this. With another person, It was last year sometime. And in my adult life, I've never had a phone conversation like this. And here's how it went. This person had lied to me and hundreds of people that I knew. <clears throat> like, both face lied for five years. They basically lived like a double life. And they called me and they were talking and they're trying to defend themselves. And I stopped them and I say, let's say their name's Mike. And I said, Mike, I don't believe what you're saying to me right now. Like I don't, just to be clear, I don't believe a word of what you just said. I know more than you think I know. And so I know that what you're telling me is a lie. And I think that we could all use some more of that in our life. Like, I have, I don't know where I saw this, but someone said when they see a lie on television, they'll look at it and they'll point and they go, that's a lie. You know, like, and I, I think that's really, really healthy. So I think in our lives, we should be able to say that's a lie or that's true, right? And we should be able to say that to people we love. And we should also say that to kind of the world around us. And I think that that's what I try to do in my business. I like to um, point out to people, you know, what's true and what's not true. And um, that's a real gift to people.
2: It's kind of like what your friend did for you 31 days before your wedding day, right? Sure.
0: He said, this is true. And this is a lie. You're believing a lie. You're believing you have to go through with this. Well, here's the truth. Engagement is not marriage. Engagement is engagement. Right? So, um, so don't do it, you know? And so, yeah, it was, it was clarity on what is true. And um, those are, you know, I, I like to say that our best friends tell us the most truth. The most truth. They don't They don't go, if I say, oh my gosh, everybody's out to get me and not everyone's out to get me, then my friend needs to say, well, that's dumb, <laughs> right? A good friend does not say, oh, you're right. Everyone's out to get you, unless everyone's out to get you. But rarely is that true, right? But this is where you find these people that sit in coffee shops and they lie to each other and they lament and they talk about, oh, the world's so bad and the economy and blah, blah, blah. Like, Some people have tough lives. I get that. Like I'm a very privileged person. But the reality is if you surround yourself with people that want to speak truth into your life and you give them permission to do so, you will be much better off. It will not be comfortable, but uh, we're not guaranteed comfort. You know, in fact, we're guaranteed the opposite.
2: One of the things that I'm figuring out, Andy, in my own life and as I interview people and talk to people about their reboots, there are three things that are really, really, really important to either avoiding a reboot or navigating a successful reboot, Um, to know what God or the universe says about you. Um, If you're a Stoic, it means that you're not the center of the universe, right? If you're a believer, it is that you're not the center of the universe, but that God loves you. So the second thing would be to have someone in your life who can speak truth to you, like you're talking about. The third yeah. thing would be that we know the truth about ourselves. And Winchell Storyworks is set up to help people know, share, and live their stories. Is, is that true in your life? Which part? All of it that, that to have a successful life, you need to know what God thinks of you. Mm-hmm. Y- you need to have other people, community speaking truth into your life, and that you need to know the truth of yourselves. That's kind of the essence of, of so far where we are with your reboots conversation,
0: right? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, we just have to go to, I mean, I, pe- this is not a popular opinion, but I don't, you know, I'm not, I've I'm, stopped trying to be popular a long time ago. Like, there are things that are true with a capital T. And one of the things that's true of my life is that I was born into a ton of privilege. Like I'm a white male that lives in America. Like, and for anyone to say that's not a privilege and that I had a leg up on a lot of people is lying. Right. And so the question is not that I have privileges. What do I do with it? Like what's my responsibility? Like this is not scripture. This is Spider-Man. But you know, if you have great gifts, you have great responsibility to how much power is given much is required. That's scripture. But You know, it was Uncle Ben who I think told Spider-Man, you know, like, you've been given great gifts. You have a lot of responsibility. And so I'm haunted by my potential. I'm haunted by how blessed I am. And am I going to be a good steward of that? You know, I don't have to worry if people think I'm shoplifting. I don't have to worry about, you know, the people look down on me. I'm 6'2", you know, like literally, you know, like people look up to me, you know, Um, you know, I, I have all this privilege. I've lived, I had middle-class parents who put me in private schools and, you know, I've had mentor after mentor after mentor. I have an amazing wife. I have incredibly amazing children. I live in a great cul-de-sac. Like I am haunted by how blessed I am. Right. And, and I think in some ways that's healthy. Maybe it's not, but you know, I'll talk to my counselor about it next time I see him.
2: Yeah. I've struggled with that too, Andy. Um, Let's go back to um, you talk about a little bit about your childhood. When did you first know that you had an entrepreneurial spirit? Have, have you always known you wanted to work for yourself? No,
0: no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't never. I never thought I had an entrepreneurial spirit. I think um, I just read a few books, specifically the 48 Days of the Work You Love book um, that, that really sent me on a trajectory of, of self-employment. And, and just to be clear, like Dan is one of my best friends. Like we hang out all the time. He's a great mentor and friend. He lives 15 minutes North of me. And, and, um, you know, the point of 48 days, the work you love book is not to work for yourself. It's to do work you love. You can do that working for someone else. I haven't found that person yet that I can work for, but, uh, my entrepreneurial spirit in part was driven by an incident that happened when I was, In college, my dad had made it through one round of layoffs at a very large insurance company, Safeco Insurance, which is still around. He made it through a round of layoffs and then he made it through another round, but then they were going to do another round. And um, I was at college at the time. My mom called, I think I called my mom and I was like, hey, what, you know, when does dad find out? And she said, well, he'll either be cleaning the gutters at, you know, at two o'clock or he'll be home at five o'clock, meaning, we lived in Indianapolis, and every fall or every spring, I should say, you have to go and clean the gutters out because all the leaves that fall over the winter, you got to empty them out. So um, it was some spring day, and and I called my mom, um, and it was like three o'clock, and I said, "Well, what happened?" And she said, "Well, the gutters are clean," which meant my dad had lost his job, been sent home at lunch, and had you know come home and cleaned out the gutters, you know. Uh, That was, you know, his his uh, the way he was dealing with it, you know, Um, and he was in his late 60s, mid 60s. He's not employable. My dad was not employable. You are not very employable (laughs) in your mid 60s um, because they could hire two younger guys for the same price they were paying him and all his loyalty and going on Saturdays and being a super friendly guy and being a a light in a dark place uh, didn't get him anywhere, you know, got him fired. Uh, there's no loyalty to him. Um, and so I think that part of that fed me to say, well, I might be a bad boss, but I'm going to be a better boss than, you know, other, all those other situations. And it's not really about the boss. It's just, you know, my dad was in a, in a system and that system said, if you're loyal to us, we'll be loyal to you for a long time until they change their mind, you know, and you know. That's not necessarily my dad's fault or the business's fault. Like it was just a business decision. And, um, I just don't want to be subject to that. So I think that's in part where I got my entrepreneurial stuff. I, I don't think I'm a very good entrepreneur. I, I think I'm good at a few things, but you know, entrepreneurs as we think of them are good at like nine things and I'm probably good at two of them. But that's one of the things I'm, I'm writing and thinking about a lot is that, you know, most of the people that we follow, um, online and you know we think are so great at everything they're probably good at two things you know nobody's probably really good at seven things everyone's probably pretty good at like three things um and maybe two or three at the top at the most and it's the the question is do they do those things and then get people around them to help them with the other ones but the idea that you're great on video and you're a great delegator and you're a great strategic thinker and you're super dynamic and you're a great speaker and you're a great writer and you're a great blah 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 it's just bull. It's just, that's just what, it's, that's, a, that's an Instagram truth, which is also known as a lie, you know? So, you know, I, it's part of that is just, I turned 40 this year and I just, I just, I'm just sort of done pretending like I know what I'm doing all the time.
2: Let's pivot toward the vlogging that you do, because um one of the things that I found to be really compelling prior to your 40th birthday was a, a daily Facebook vlog that you did. You thanked someone every single day um, who has helped you get to 40 years old. Tell me about that
0: project. Well, I didn't finish the project. You didn't? Just to be clear. I didn't. I didn't do all 40. Uh But uh, the idea is a good one and I'll probably go back and end up thanking those other people. I have a list. I didn't finish it, but the idea was simply to thank someone from my past. And it was really awesome. Like I was uh, one of the first people I thanked was like, I didn't start with my wife. I was saving her till the end. Um, and it, you know, like I thanked one of my high school teachers and just talked about her influence on me. Uh, I thanked the guy who saved me from, uh, then Rob, uh, houseman, uh, saved me from getting married to the wrong person you know and he was instrumental in a lot of other ways too but um but yeah so i just went through and and thanked some different people and it was a nice reflection point for my life and a good way to look back and recognize that like you know it takes a village there's a lot of people it takes to make us us and it's really healthy while you're still alive to thank them
2: And now you've kind of switched your daily vlogging to, I guess it's almost daily, um, to Instagram. And you, you talked a minute ago about
0: Instagram truth, which is a lie Mm. is, is part of the reason that you're most, I would say most. My Instagram is not lies.
2: (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying is, is is, why do you do these? quick vlogs every day is it is it a is it an attempt to insert truth into people's lives or is it for your own well-being why do you do that
0: okay here's a couple reasons that i use instagram and and um number one is it's a really good way to um, look back on my kids lives like it's really fun to go like instagram to my knowledge is not going to delete my photos tomorrow so i can go back And I start to see this now with Facebook. Like, why do I put my kids on Facebook? Because, like, it reminds me, hey, six years ago, do you remember this moment? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was so great. It's like every day I get this gift of this little time capsule from six or seven years ago. So that's one of the reasons. I think it's just kind of a cool way to document my kids growing up. Um, Yesterday, I did a video, a live video on my feed of me and my son in our garage um, just doing some baseball drills. And... Um, and I'll put that on his YouTube channel and he'll be able to see himself doing baseball drills at age 10 for the rest of his life. Like, I wish I had those videos of moments with my dad. So first of all, just, it's a good way to document your family. Um, and then I'd say the other is that I am confident that I'm inspiring someone. And I also think that I have been given some truth that is good to share with people. And part of that truth is, um, you know, if you go to Instagram.com slash Andy Traub, let me look at my post from today. Um, From this morning, I went by a new coffee shop and um, my post was just a picture of me and my planner and a cup of coffee. And the um, caption um, underneath it was, today may have started out rough for you but you got another day. That's something to be grateful for. I'm grateful. Uh, and my friend Ben said, amen, brother. Thanks for the reminder. Uh, the coach Mayhew said, amen. How did you know? Wink. Appreciate the reminder. Um, and so, um, the idea is that, you know, uh, that encouraged some people, you know? And so I think that, that if, if I have seeds to spread that are, uh, if I'm Johnny Appleseed, it's kind of selfish to keep the seeds in your pocket, right? Um, so I, I try to put that out there. Now, <clears throat> one of the reasons I've really shied away from building my own personal platform is because uh, I don't want to post things because I'm trying to communicate something that's not true. And I don't want to feel the pressure of like, why are you posting this on this day? Da, 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 da. Like, like I, I don't want that. Like, I want to just post stuff because it's fun to post stuff. I don't want people to analyze everything I do. So I don't – there's not a lot of strategic thinking about my social posts other than I'm trying to be honest. It's a fun way to nav to to kind of keep track of what's going on with my family. Uh, and I want to encourage people because that's one of my strengths is to encourage people.
2: Well, I did a 31-day challenge on Anchor. So I did a, a five-minute podcast every single day in February and bleeding a little bit beyond – it really helped me personally and professionally a lot. It helped me bring back some broadcasting chops. Do you think that posting something every single day via video helps you figure out what you want to communicate and how you want to communicate it? Is it did it help you come up with the concept for the honestdad.com?
0: I think that the more you post, the better. I mean, people are going to say, you know, don't post stupid stuff or whatever. But like my son, you know, he's on YouTube. um, And, you know, he said, Dad, how many views do I get yesterday? And I said, buddy, you got one view yesterday, you know, uh, and it was probably your mom. And that's because, um, like, buddy, nobody's, you know, you have 26 subscribers to your channel. And at the end of the day, like it's it's. Um, no one's going to watch your videos. I said, because we're not doing your videos to get people to watch them. We're doing your videos because you're going to learn to get better at video. That's why we're doing them. Like that's the number one reason we're doing them for you to get better at video. It's not for people. It's not for them. It's for you. Right? So yeah, he has a, he has a video from yesterday. It has one view. His video from two days ago has four views video from three days, five views. Right? Like, that should not be a disappointment. Like his 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 daily uh, updates about him breaking in his baseball glove um, is not going to go viral. It's just not. So why are we doing it? Because I want him to be able to present himself really well, to collect his ideas and communicate something in a few minutes time. Like that's a really marketable skill. I'm really good at it. And it's my, so when I coach my son, he's like, dad, you're really good at this. And I go, yeah, I've been doing it a while. Right? So... If there's one thing I want to encourage people to do, it's just get better at what you think you're so good at. You know, what's the best marketing? Uh, being awesome. Like Apple doesn't have to convince us that their stuff is great. They just go, here's the next one. And everyone goes, oh, I want that. You know, like, I don't even know why. I literally <laughs> bought an iPad. I literally bought an iPad when the first iPad one came out. And my wife said, why are you buying it? And I said, I don't know. But after I get it, I'll tell you. I had no idea why I was buying this thing, Right. And so if I can encourage people to do one thing with their work, it's just get better at what you do. If you're that good, then people will, um, people will pay attention.
2: Yeah. How do you coach your son into, um, to, to
0: prepare for his next YouTube video? Do you have a uh, process
2: you walk him through?
0: Well, like right now, it's to, again, it's clarity. So what's our goal? So for this one, his baseball glove got stolen, lost, something like that. So we got him another baseball glove, and he has to break this one in. So um, I said, Samuel, let's for the next 14 days before your next game, his first game of the season, he's got to break in his glove. He's got to get his glove ready before his, his first game, which is April 9th. and actually got moved up, so he might even have less time. So the point is, uh, I said, hey, let's just chronicle you and what you're doing every day to make your glove more ready for, you know, and this can then help other people. And it's also a way because he's bugging me all the time. We should do another video, do another video. It's like, well, what is it about and how long is it? And now these are like 90 seconds long. You know, yesterday was how to use this special mallet. It's a baseball glove mallet to break in your glove. Two days before that, I don't remember what it was about. Oh, it was about wrapping your glove and and keeping a ball inside when you're not using it. And today we'll, we'll have something. So I had him write down. A bunch of ideas of how to break into baseball glove, um, and and so the point is, what's the what's the clarity? It's my CSI process. Clarity. Where do you want to do? Uh, we want to do more YouTube videos. Okay, uh, well, let's do one for the next 14 days. Good. Now we know what you're going to do. We're doing one for the next 14 days. Strategy. Let's do very short ones every day. We don't have to edit them. Like I just record it and then we upload it to YouTube. Right. And implementation is, you know, last one we did last night. We did one at 8:30 at night. Right We'll do one today sometime um before my wife and I go on a date because the kids are going to bed, right so it's 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 pretty simple, but the the thing is we have to just make sure because I'm not great at you know planning ahead, we just have to make sure that we keep it really simple. He's ten, you know
2: Wow, and see that that seems to apply to so many of us. It's we get stuck and we get overwhelmed because we don't have a clarity, and then we Absolutely. don't know what to do with it, right.
0: Well, and I learned this from my friend John Acuff who wrote a book called Finish. And it's all about how do you actually get things done? You want to get things done. I want my son to have more YouTube videos. How do I do that? You know, and John uh, lays out in his book Finish, you know, here's some ways to make sure you actually get done what you want to get done and stop living in regret every day of your life. And one of those is to make the goal really simple. Like I want to do five minute videos every day for the next year. How about you do two minute videos for the next month, (laughs) right? You know, cut your goal in half and then cut it in half, and then see, right? Because it's really easy to quit when you're supposed to do something for a year. So, like, try to do something for a week, right? Um, and then and then go, okay, I did it for a week. Let's try to do it for three weeks, right? It's it's not super complicated, but John, that, that book's a great example of. Um, a great a great guide if you struggle to finish things.
2: Yeah. Hey, walk me through. You've been working. Um, Michael Hyatt's best year ever. Mm-hmm. Talk me through where you are right now um, in mid March that you wouldn't have been without without working that that process early this year.
0: Sure. Uh, well. I am confident that I am working with better people. I'm confident that I'm more confident. <laughs> um, confident I'm building habits that I would not have built. I'm more productive throughout the week. Like like I probably use half of this quarter's planner. So, you know, I'm, I've used half the days uh, of the planner that like I could have used. Um, you know, the, the quarter before that, I probably used a quarter of the planner. So if you consider that I've doubled my productivity and I wrote a, a post on medium, like 11 things to think about before you use Michael Hyatt's planner system. But one of them is like, if you are at a two on a level of one to 10 on productivity, and then you become a four, right? Like there's two things that are true. The outside world would say you suck at productivity. I would tell you you doubled your productivity. Both are true. What are you going to focus on, right? So my son is ten. He's on. He got called up to play with the eleven and twelve year olds, right? And he could say, "I'm the worst kid on the team," or I could say, "Actually, um, maybe that's true, but also you could look at it and say I'm the best ten year old on the team."
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So it's it's a perspective what is true. So what what am I better at this year for because the best year ever? I set some real goals. I hate setting goals because that is a finish line that I can either finish or not, you know, cross or not cross. It's always scary. And the other is that um, just day to day, I'm getting better at being productive and and not sort of, what do I want to do today? You know, like, just sort of guess. Like, I write these things down, you know. So, if I look at today, I know that this was on my schedule. I know this is one of my tasks for the day. And of my big three for the day, I know that, um, you know, I've, I'm going to accomplish my big three which are the three things that I absolutely have to finish for the day.
2: Speaking of, I want to get you back to that. I've got two really quick questions. Um, wh- what advice or encouragement do you have for someone who has a great idea, but they're scared to death they're going to fail?
0: All right, so here's a question you need to ask about failure, which is, um, are you going to die? And if the answer is no, like if failure means like, Andy, I'm thinking about doing this whole rocket spaceship thing. I'm like, okay, are you going to die if it doesn't work? Uh, I could. Then I would suggest you don't do it. <laughs> but if you're not going to die, then you need to just go for it, but maybe do it on a smaller scale. Okay. So, and then the other is, what do you do with failure is you learn from it and you make it better. Like if you keep repeating, then you get the iPhone 7, 8, X, all those things. If you keep repeating, you go from... Launching a ship into the you know into outer space to like colonizing Mars or whatever you know like, like it's it's about iteration. So if you have a great idea and you're afraid of failure, then I would also remind you ideas do not have very much value. Sorry, your idea is not implementation is where it's at, and that's why I have that's why I get to make a living. Frankly, because there's so many people have good ideas but they don't implement, and so I have someone that's paying me right now. And literally, he's like, man, I so appreciate you, Andy. This is so good. This is so good. He said, because I've just had this idea for so long and I haven't done anything with it. And I push him and I push him and I push him. And he's like, I'm finally implementing my idea. Now, we don't even know if it's that great of an idea yet, but we're going to find out because he's implementing.
2: Cool. Best books. I know you've mentioned a couple, 48 Days to the Work You Love and Finish by John Acuff. You got any more? Sure.
0: So, let me. uh, I'm going to ask a question. And if you who are listening, if you resonate with the question, then go read this book. And by the way, books are the cheapest and most effective way to get information, period. All right. So, if a book is $20, the only question you have to ask is Am I going to get $20 worth of clarity or new ideas or whatever or piece from this? And the answer is almost always yes. Okay. So here we go. If, if you if you resonate with the question, then go get this book and read it. And you're probably going to resonate with more than one, and that's fine. All right. First, if you're questioning, does my voice matter? Do I matter? Then you need to read Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Um, if you say to yourself, uh, I suck at getting things done, then you need to read Finish by John Acuff. If you question, should I make money with my art? Or how do I make money with my art? you need to read Real Artists Don't Starve by Jeff Goins. If you work too much, if your life is out of balance, you need to read Sabbath by Wayne Moeller. Wayne Moeller. And then if you want to be a consultant or a coach of any kind, you need to re- read a book by Patrick Lencioni, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I, and that's called Getting Naked. And it's basically about how to be really raw and honest with the people you consult with. So. um, And if you want to get more done, then I would encourage you to just Google TROB, my last name, T-R-A-U-B, and then Full Focus Planner. And so if you type in TROB, Full Focus Planner, and Google, you'll you'll find a post and I write about the planner that I use and that you should use too. And I don't get money from any link on any of those things. Um, I'm fine if I did, but I'm not going to give them to you. But you have Google. You can hit rewind and then um, go get those things.
2: Thank you, Andy, for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.
0: It's my pleasure. Uh, I want everybody that hears my voice right now to remember this, that, that you are not an accident. You have specific gifts. You are not meant to be your hero. Like We all have heroes. You are not meant to be them. You're not meant to be little them. You're meant to be you, the best version of you. So stop looking at your heroes and wishing you were like them. Be more like the best version of you and less like the best version of your hero. Like That will drive you to misery. I know this. Because it makes me miserable when I try to be my heroes. So stop trying to be your heroes and be your own hero. Okay. So thanks for the opportunity to talk today. God bless to all of you who listened. And if I can be of help to you, then reach out to me, Andy at takepermission.com. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Andy, for your time. I appreciate it.
0: All right. God bless. We'll see
2: you. All right. You ready for the story of how I booked Andy Traub? I'm on his email list. And he sent an email titled, waste of time, question mark. And here's what Andy wrote. He wrote, you know why I never fill out surveys from big companies? They never respond to my feedback. It's a total waste of time. And then he continued, I don't have a webinar for you to attend. I don't have a program for you to join. I don't have a launch team for you to join, but I do want to ask you to do one thing. Ask me a question. And he said, that's it. Hit reply and ask me a question. I will write you back and try to help. So what's your question? Thanks, Andy. So you can probably guess what my question was. It was, will you be on my podcast? So that's another thing that makes Andy a big deal. His list isn't a sales tool, it is a tool for being human with more people. And yes, he helped me by being on this podcast, but I am certain that if you're listening, he helped you in some way. So Andy, thank you. My talk with Andy is really fresh in my mind as I put this episode together. Rarely do I publish an episode less than a week after the interview is completed, but this conversation has impacted me in a really big way. Right now, we're preparing to celebrate a full year of publishing reboots twice a month. And for me, this is a time of reflecting on what we've learned about podcasting and business and life. It's also... Approaching the anniversary of the death of my dad and the birthday of of a close friend that I've lost recently. So this is a a really reflective time for me. And I'm asking, what's next? It's a fairly medium-sized question for me in this season. Talking to Andy reminded me that whatever is next has to be authentic. It can't be entirely about me, but it has to help me become the best version of me because it's the right thing to do. And that what's next? The answer can't be about the numbers. The Reboots podcast is about helping people who want to change know how to make change in their lives based on the experiences of people who have been there. Reboots is about giving All of us hope that even when things look bleak, there is hope because other people have survived. And that's another piece of what Reboots is. It's a reminder that every single human being who's ever walked the planet has suffered pain, hardship, and disappointment. This life ain't easy. We've all had to do things we didn't want to do. So as I record this right now, it's Good Friday, 2018. Jesus, the Son of God, did something he didn't want to do. He begged his Father to let the cup pass from him, and still he went to the cross for you and for me. Yes, it is so that we can live eternity with our Father, but it's about so much more than heaven or hell. Jesus went to the cross so that you and I can commune and communicate and be with God today, right now, on this earth, in this life, so that our joy can be complete. Not later, but now. As the amazing Ed Saucier says, life is meant to be enjoyed even when it must be endured. The death, burial, and resurrection makes that possible. All right, show notes for my conversation with Andy Traub at therebootspodcast.com forward slash episode 24. His book recommendations, how you can get in touch with Andy, all that stuff. I'm Tracy Winchell, and we'll see you next time.
1: We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots podcast. It's easy to share from our website, RebootsPodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.